to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Coon, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Coon. Man, it's been a couple weeks and I feel like I'm out of rhythm. Absolutely. And my middle brother, Matthew Coon. It has been a few weeks and it feels weird sitting here in early February talking about a, a recent Browns exit from, from from the NFL season. Usually that happens around October. Exactly. So we were obviously disappointed just like y'all and just couldn't pull it together and actually talk about that Browns loss to the Chiefs. But we have another podcast for you guys. We are going to talk about the Browns season. It's going to be a kind of nostalgic podcast. It's the first good season we've had since we've recorded the podcast. So we're going to we're gonna revel in it a little bit. Um, we'll talk about the Chiefs game. Um, we'll talk about some other things associated with the Browns and just look back at a great year. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Let's let's start off just by talking about that unfortunate loss to the Chiefs in the divisional playoffs. I've, I've told you guys this. I still feel about the same way as I did a couple of days after the game. You went you went through all the cycles of like grief. Yeah, you guys handled the loss in the moment a lot better than I did. I was pretty down about it as it happened. And I, my overarching sentiment is that the Chiefs are going to be a team that the Browns are going to have to beat in order to make the Super Bowl for years to come. Uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going to be there for a long time. We're both in the same conference, and like that's going to be a team. We got to get over that hump to get to the Super Bowl, if you know, for hopefully for many years to come. And we had things play in our favor this year. We didn't have the best defense. Like I know we weren't like a team. I did not expect to make the Super Bowl this year, but they missed a field goal early in the second half. We. Got back in that game. Patrick Mahomes goes down and isn't able to return. Things played in our favor in a way that I don't know that we'll be able to expect to happen at any point again in the future in the postseason. And it feels, even though we didn't, I, I wasn't expecting to like make it to the AFC Championship game in the 2020 season, everything lined up for it to be a possibility this year. And it seems like a shame that um, we weren't able to pull it together and, and pull it off. Because it was right there for the taking. Um, and it just didn't work out. Yeah, it's exactly that. I didn't expect to win the game, but then the way that it played out was a huge missed opportunity. It, it becomes tantalizing. Yeah, like, in that moment, you're like, oh, no, we're right there. We're on the cusp. We definitely could have won that game. I mean, the NFL is so fragile. And, like, one major injury, like, derails your season. Like... So to make it to the second round of the playoffs where we did this year, everybody's got a chance to win the Super Bowl. Like you got to take advantage of every opportunity that you have, regardless of what your 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 expectations were coming into the season. And so I just feel like we did this major shift. Like when I sat here and recorded this podcast at the beginning of the season, I said all I want to do is make the playoffs. But then once you make the playoffs, like your perspective, that's not good enough anymore. It's yeah. not good enough. Like your yeah. perspective has to change. Like yeah. your expectation should be to win, and you got to take advantage of every opportunity. And the Browns weren't able to pull it off against the Chiefs this year, and it's a bummer. I I, I think there's there's value to be pulled. I I do agree with you. We do need to get over that hurdle of the Chiefs if we are going to be 
a contending team in the AFC and the NFL going forward in the next couple of years. Um, Chiefs are a little bit ahead of us in, in a similar cycle, um, salary cap-wise, what, whatever. Um, they haven't started paying Pat Mahomes. It'll be interesting to see when kind of those bills start coming due and what they, they have to do. So Chiefs might be at the peak of their powers. From from a roster construction standpoint, um, so we'll we'll see how they go going forward. Um, I think we have a lot to be proud of. The Browns have the Chiefs to twenty two points, like and that's something that none of these other teams and in the playoffs lost. have even done. Like we lost, and so it doesn't count for crap. But we can hang with these guys. Like we can do it. Um, get a couple other pieces. Figured out. We had the ball with eight minutes on the clock, down by five, and we had scored on the previous two possessions. Like, that's a situation you expect. All right, we're going to go take this. We're going to go take this to them. And I felt it in the moment. I know everybody else felt it in the moment. The, the Browns have this. You're in the you're losing, but you're in the prime spot. Go make it happen, and we just fell short. And we've seen it happen before where we've driven down the field in that exact moment and pulled it off other times during that year, like specifically against the Bengals. And I I really did think the momentum was swinging, and we did have it. That drive in particular is the one that haunts me. The fact that we spent, what was it, like three minutes, four minutes, or something like that, on that drive where we gained like... We spent, we spent, f- we spent four minutes and punted the ball, four minutes of timeout and punted the ball away. And we gained like 15 yards on the whole drive. Yeah, like, it was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. And we just, could, our defense just couldn't pull it out. And we also had, like it wasn't the wrong decision to punt the ball away because we had the Chiefs pinned back in a situation where Chad Henney had to run for 13 yards on third and 14 or whatever it was. And so, like, I don't blame the coaching staff for making that decision. Oh, it's just unfortunate. Chad Henney. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my goodness. Um, at the end of the day, we you can point to a lot of different th- reasons why we lost this game. The Richard Higgins fumbled through the end zone. You can talk about the defense not being able to come through in those big moments like that. Chad Henney, third and forever. The fourth down play that the Chiefs, like, showed, pulled yeah. their pulled their testicles out and like went for it like you got to give them credit i don't blame the browns for that i I, and andy reed dropped them on the table yeah Yeah. i mean there's like a number of things you know the you know about the offense for the browns probably playing like a below average game for for our on the whole of the season especially especially against this chiefs defense which is is not a a a pinnacle defense in the nfl the browns didn't play anywhere close to their best in, in that game. We did still hold him to only 22 points. And it just, that's why it felt like it left that like sour taste in my mouth. Because it felt like it even a, a B from the Browns across the board would have like gotten it. And we got something in the like C, C minus range for the Browns. Like they just didn't have it on that day. And that happens. Like it, it happens in the NFL. You can't expect to play like at your peak performance every single week. And we didn't have it. And the Chiefs have talent all across the board, and so we didn't win the game. Yeah, there was only like four games this whole season that we only scored twenty less than 22 points. Yeah, and the Chiefs aren't one of the better defenses. It's tough. I, f- I feel like you hear it at post-game press conferences all the time, and it 
kind of becomes cliche, but even even winning teams, they say like we've got things that we got to clean up, we got to improve, like we got to do this, we got to do that. The reality is like you're not gonna be you're not gonna be perfect, and you're not gonna be at the top of your game, and like even like a, a good solid dominant playoff win, like you miss a couple things. Um, the Browns missed a lot of things. <laughs> like we we need to be better where we're just missing a couple things and are able to kind of overcome those. Um, Rashard Higgins at the end of the end of the half was was brutal in a number of ways because the Chiefs went and got a field goal afterwards, which is just just a, a double gut punch at that point. Um, but, you know, it's something you learn from. And uh, I think the fact that we came back in this game and if we had won this game, like we had a chance and if we had won it, it w- would have been a real testament to – to this roster and the coaching staff. The coaching staff especially. I I feel like this roster is depleted, right? Like in a, in a number of areas, we played most of this game with our third string left tackle. Exactly. Fourth fourth string if you count Chris Hubbard. Yes. We lost two left tackles in this game. Jedrick Wills goes down on the first play. Lamb goes down um, early or late in the second quarter. Blake Hance plays the entire second half. Guy named Blake. Some guy, right. some guy named Blake. And he did all right. I, yeah. That that's the okay, so it's it's two sides of the same coin where it's super disappointing that yeah. those things happened. But it's also But it's super also darn impressive. Yeah. That our coaching staff is able to pull out like positive performances like this when we've been absolutely decimated, which happens to every NFL team. Well and, and, and you and, and you see it. Like uh Packers played without Bakhtiari in the championship game. Uh, Chiefs are getting ready to play without their left tackle, Eric Fisher, in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Like, to to be able to overcome those kind of setbacks, and obviously it's kind of unique to the Browns to be like, oh, in the first, in in one game you lose two tackles. Um, that's that's a little harder to adjust on the fly. But you've you've got to deal with adversity. Like it's not gonna be perfect. You gotta deal with adversity and overcome and we got darn close. But Blake Hans wasn't a problem. No. I'm, I'm kind of excited about our offensive line depth at this point. I'm excited with, about Blake with, Hans. With Blake Hans, uh, Michael Dunn, who played really good in that in the week before. Uh, we got Drew Forbes coming back. We're going to see what, what the interior of our offensive line looks like. But Bill, we've got the like raw clay for Bill Callahan to just do whatever he wants. And... Uh, we're, Our offensive line is going to be set for, for the next two years, I think, everybody's under contract for. Um, but we're going to be in a position where we don't have to re-sign our free agents because we've got potentially people who are ready to step up from behind. And maybe that's a position, maybe not this offseason, but next season, it's a position of strength that we trade from because we know we've got cheaper guys that we can fill in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean... There's, there's nothing more exciting than having the number one offensive line, according to PFF. Pass blocking and rush pass blocking. Pass blocking and rush, rush blocking. It's and ridiculous. Next year when um, Andrew Barry said himself that consistency is the thing that he values most at the offensive line position. Like that, well, we're going to have it, and we have the best one. And we have so, the depth. Yeah, and we have the depth. So we can secure that on yeah, defense. Which line. we were really decimated. When you think about Drew Forbes opting out, a handful of other – Offensive lineman opting yeah. out in the preseason. And then the injuries that we sustained to all of that depth. Nick Harris getting hurt. Chris Hubbard getting hurt. Like, over and over again, we kept putting guys in there that performed. 
And so we had we had coming into the year we had Chris Harris or we had uh, Chris Hubbard and um, Kendall Lamb mm-hmm. as our tackles. In this game, both of them were out. We had at our guard coming into the year it was going to be Drew Forbes. Yeah, you're talking about backups. Yeah, backups coming in. We had Drew Forbes, and then it was going to be Harris. If and then Michael Dunn. Yeah. And so All we, we were down to playing our fourth string guard at left tackle because we had nobody left and we kept rolling. Yep. Like in that second half, the offense scored with the exception of that final drive, like pretty much when we needed to and made it happen. I mean, it's a unique situation where you have one of the best coaches in the league at the position, Bill Callahan who can take a player and put him in the optimal position and probably get more out of most offensive linemen. Paired with an offensive line, that's incredibly talented. Like, across the board, those five guys are really good. Like, the only one that's not physically, like, really impressive is J.C. Treader, and he's, like, as smart as anybody in the NFL. And and the knock on Jack Conklin is that he's been hurt, like, in his NFL career. Like, if he hadn't torn his ACL, he... Probably and so it's just kind of the perfect, yeah. the perfect blend of you know you and you've got that fantastic coaching and you know the sky's the limit. The thing that's exciting to me about the offensive line is the progression of Jedrick Wills. Um, if he starts to take steps forward, which I fully expect, given that he was a playing full a completely off-season. new position. Like, are you um, kidding me, Jedrick Wills in a full off season, yeah. like being comfortable doing like Left tackle things? We're gonna we're gonna talk about. Um, different individual players and their performances on the season. I don't think Jedrick Wills is on our list, but he deserves to be talked about. Like Mm -hmm. to have a rookie come in, start at left tackle. He's never played left tackle before in this season, in this off season. Like he's performed as well as anybody could ever expect. Like he maxed out my hope and expectation for the season. I'm so excited to have Jed Wills for the next Five, hopefully ten years, be, yeah. be the left tackle of this football team. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's let's roll into that. So I mentioned at the beginning that we were going to be having a little bit of a nostalgic podcast. The Browns listeners, the Browns finally had a great year. We had a fantastic season, and so let's look back. And we're going eleven to and five and a playoff win. We the first beat, time we have a season worthy of looking back on. We, yeah, there's something to look at and so we're gonna look back and let's ascribe some awards to some of our players it's gonna be kind of the situation that we're gonna rolling into it's kind of like a michael scott they're gonna be like dundee awards we we picked our own metrics and we are going to award players coaches whatever on these basic categories so we're gonna have overachiever and we're all gonna pick who our favorite overachiever is that person is going to be someone who we have low expectations for that exceeded our expectations then biggest dud which is going to be the opposite of overachiever and we are going to have our best value option so someone who performed well compared to how much we were paying them and then last but not least our mvp of the entire season so we all have different picks and we're going to go through and talk about each and every one of those. Jedrick, I'm sorry that you did not make the list. You had a fantastic year, but you will not be mentioned in this segment. We're very, very thankful for you. Um, all right, let's talk about overachiever first. Michael, who is your overachiever for the year? 
This is a player that I was not all that excited about going into the season. And so my bar was low, and he certainly exceeded it. Um, And that is BJ Goodson. Mm. Brown signed him. I thought he would definitely be coming in in, like, sub-packages. I did not see him being a nearly every-down linebacker. He manned the middle the entire time. He played... I just looked this up, actually. So in 2019 with the Packers... B.J. Goodson played 254 snaps, which was something like 24% of their overall snaps. Yeah. With the Browns, he played 848 snaps, which is almost 80% of the Browns' snaps. We needed him. All right. His PFF grade was even better this year than it was with the Packers last year. He's been pretty consistent with PFF like his whole his whole career. He's been in the mid sixties. He just like is he is what he solid. is. He is what he is. But you would expect a player like that that plays in a situational capacity to not be as solid in, right. in an increased yeah. snap. You get more because, exposure. Because yeah. he was playing in situations where he was, you know, in position to succeed. Whereas he's playing nearly every down for the Browns and he was able to sustain that same level of play. It was way more production than I expected. I mean, we only paid him $2.3 million this year, and I I expected just depth from him. So to be able to deliver like he did um, was certainly a surprise. But but he wears a number in the 90s, which is really just disappointing. Yeah, it's my biggest knock. I think the biggest thing that it hurts him on is like he just like he doesn't severely flash. Yeah. suppressing his like earning value because like no one thinks highly of him because of the number that he has. Yeah. Like think he'd probably make at least a million dollars more on average if he wore a yeah. normal number. 93 is like what a f- the fifth defensive end on a team wears. <laughs> it like takes, it takes like at least two tenths of a second off of your perceived 40 time. Like just by like, just by like, looking no at doubt, him. no doubt. But, but the best part about his overachiever status is that we needed him to overachieve this year. Like if we didn't have, yeah, someone in that position that did better than we expected we were gonna be screwed it's everything we said in the yeah. preseason talk talkie talkie made steps but we needed somebody to to be a rock and, so, and bj goodson was was just enough of that to get this whole position group through yeah absolutely all right matthew who is your overachiever my overachiever is terrence mitchell mm-hmm. um not not the sexiest player um player that we talked about before the season of maybe not even making the roster um but he ended up being the rock in this secondary. We we were missing players left and right. Uh, obviously, Greedy Williams didn't play the whole year. Um, Denzel missed a handful of games. We were missing players at the safety level at different times. And Terrence Mitchell was the guy who was always there uh, playing solid, solid football. Um, a, a good value for us, but really just overachieving his potential to me as a guy who was kind of on the roster bubble as a veteran. Um, coming in and just doing everything that you could hope. Now his season-long PFF grade was about 67, Great. which is like super solid for a guy making about $3 million a year. Great. Yeah. I'll take it. I mean, I will take those guys all day long. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in depth positions. Um, I So my overachiever is Harrison Bryant. I, I see Harrison Bryant as Good one. the prototypical overachiever, right? Like he's, like a, <laughs> he's been an overachiever his whole life. He's, he's white. Been, he's been like a tryhard his entire life. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the quintessential moment of this is when Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, like looked over at him and was like, He's like, dude, Odell. This is in the Dallas game. In the Dallas yeah. Game, he's like, hey, dude, just like make sure you go out of bounds. Like, like or don't go out of bounds. Or don't go out of bounds so we can like preserve the clock. And he's like, Odell's like, okay, Rook. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, okay, over it. Thanks, Rook. Yeah. Harrison Bryant. Um, it's so, like how you guys talk about me all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, I tell you something, you're like, shut up. Yes. <laughs> we know, moron. <laughs> um, so, Harrison Bryant, I, I mean, we obviously drafted him in the fourth round. Um, and I was excited about him because of his production, but he came out of Florida Atlantic. I didn't know really what to expect, except for the fact that we were going to use a lot of tight ends in this new offensive scheme. And so Harrison Bryant came into our depth chart as third on the tight end list, and he was our fifth leading receiver as far as receptions goes. So he barely outnudged OBJ, obviously because of injury, uh, and he had 25 <laughs> receptions, com- or 24 compared to... Odell's 23, and um, he tries hard. He blocks well. He produced, and I think the sky's the limit. He's got to be super smart because everybody's It's the talking. effort in the run game. It, it's like yeah. the effort in the pass, in the blocking game, not even the run game, that like sets him apart, I think, just like that mentality. He'll come around physically. Super hard nose, like sticks yeah. his head in there every single time. And i got to give him credit. I think he's got to be one of the more intelligent players on the team Simply because you talk to almost anyone about what positions like have like the biggest learning curve, and nearly every time they tell you that tight end is the hardest position to like transition to the NFL in. Because you're a little and, bit offensive line, you're a little bit wide receiver, you're in line, you're splitting out, you're maybe in the backfield. So many different elements. Yeah, like there's so many different elements, and like it was really impressive that he like earned himself a position, and was getting early playing time. It wasn't something that grew throughout the season. From the beginning of the year, Harrison Bryant had earned himself position on the field and was playing significant minutes and snaps for the Browns, and it made a huge difference. Dude's yes. going to be really, really good. I'm, like, oh, yeah. I'm a huge Harrison Bryant fan. Me too. So his PFF grade was like a little bit lower than Austin Hooper and David Njoku, but like just a little bit lower. Picture, but he's a rookie. But he's a rookie. And picture the difference yeah. in our expectation from those players going into the season. So for that reason, he is my number one overachiever. Um, well done, Harrison. All right. Let's go to biggest dud. The most disappointing player based on your expectations going into the season. Um, and then how the season ended up. Matthew. Yeah, I mean, I'll go. I'll go off your Harrison Bryant talk. Um, I think he's a good player, but Austin Hooper is my biggest dud. I mean, we we made him coming into the season. I think he was the highest paid tight end in football. Um, he was a good tight end, you know. I mean, you you look at some of the other like highest paid tight ends across the league: Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. Um, some of these guys who are game changing. I mean, even Darren Waller, who's not up there at the highest paid, but yeah. is impactful at that tight end position. And we can talk about a number of different reasons of personnel groupings and how we couldn't stretch the field. So we've got Jarvis out there taking up some of that kind of tight end room. But Austin Hooper did not make the impact that I think I was expecting. I don't think he made the impact that the Browns were expecting, um, Browns fans were expecting coming in this year. It'll be interesting to see what he's what he's like going forward if he can kind of make that influential impact. But if you're going to be near the highest paid at your position in the league, you have to be influential. You have, yeah, to, change, you even, you have to change games. He, he was nowhere a, even near that top tier of the George Kittles and the not Travis close. Kelsey's and the Darren Wallers. Like, not even close. And it, and it killed me every single time. He's, he's like the anti-yak god. Like, like you just catch the ball I'm and so fall down. I'm so glad you said this. He would fall down catching the ball. And that makes it such a big difference. He just leaves his feet, basically, yeah. to catch the ball for no apparent reason. Like, you're, 
like catching the ball is great and it's necessary and it's the first step. And that's but like the difference between a Gary Barnage and a George Kittle is the ability not just to catch the ball, but be dynamic afterwards. And Austin Hooper has not shown that with the Cleveland Browns. So he's my biggest dud for the year. I'm not ready to give up on Austin Hooper and his impact, but in 2020, in a season of a lot of good things, Austin Hooper is my biggest dud. But there is encouragement as far as his contract is structured. We can't get out after after years. next year. After yes. ne- so after next year, we yep. can get out if we wanted to. Um, all right, my biggest dud is it's going to be a lot of anecdotal evidence. I didn't pull up a ton of stats, but everybody saw it. Mac Wilson. I, I to, just, to be fair, there were not a lot of stats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, okay, my theme, the though, of, are, the amount of times that I saw Mac Wilson not make a play that he was there to make over and over and over again, he could not fill a gap. He could not cover a guy outside of that, like, low-level zone. Only if it was in that low-level zone could he do good, like, proper coverage. And it was just disappointing how many times. Missing tackles in the open field. Let me down in the backfield and let me down in the open field. Um, So one of the mantras that this Cleveland Browns team seemed to um, hold on to and try to embody this season, you heard from a bunch of them, including Mac Wilson, actually, ironically, was... um, (laughs) I think it's so funny. Um, Was... (laughs) Um, no bark, all bite. Yeah. Okay. Mac Wilson's the complete opposite. Of that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's all bark, he's all bark, bark and absolutely no bite. And it, what makes me laugh every single time that he like uses that mantra because he's just, the complete opposite. Just of it. He so- talks- yeah, social media, social media, God. darling. Yeah. Like you know, the casual Browns fan loves him. He's talking a big game. He's like he's you know, as a Browns fan, you want your player to like you know be engaged in the city and excited like Mac Wilson, but you gotta back it up a tiny bit on the field, and the guy just doesn't have it. So, he he was forced into action last year. Had some flashes, was clearly overmatched. He made no progress. And he made some flash plays this year, too. Yeah. But, like, it it was the exact same year. It's not not what you want to see from your second year like late round pick linebacker, not the development and the the blooming that you help. I'm, I'm with a, you on there's, that. There's a lot of faith in the like combine process in why Mac Wilson went as late as he did in being drafted. Um, I'm not optimistic about Mac Wilson's future, and I would venture to guess that he may not have a spot on the 2021 Cleveland Browns, pending what what moves are made in the offseason at the linebacker position. I hope so. He's cheap. So that's the only thing that like is in his favor. He's doesn't cost the Browns much to give a roster spot. I think if I was betting, I would put my money on him not being on the roster. We will see. Which would mean that we've made a fair amount of moves that put us in a better position. He's just not a great special teams player either. Like you didn't see him on special teams that much. Like, if you're a back end of the roster linebacker, like you got to contribute more than he does. We're if I had to defend about him, disappointment, and I will say Andrew Sandejo would be a great special teams player. If we could pay him one dollar to just play on our special teams, I think that'd be great. A pay. veterans minimum, <laughs> just fly down the field, yeah, full speed, hit a dude. All right, so. My biggest dud was an absolute no-brainer in my opinion. The first name that came to mind 
was the one and only Austin Seibert. Came into the season as our kicker. We spent a draft pick on him the season prior, so there was certainly expectation that he could deliver and actually make kicks. He was Fifth given, round pick, if I remember. He was given the opportunity to kick twice this season, aside from kickoffs. One field goal attempt, it was a miss. And one extra point attempt, it was also a miss. And Andrew Barry did not waste any time. He swiftly let go of, of Austin Seibert. Poor and fingers. brought in a much a much better option, a much more solid option that delivered throughout the season. And so Austin Seibert is most definitely um, the biggest dud for me from the Cleveland Browns 2020 season. Going on that same line of thinking, OBJ is the biggest dud of my 2020 season. I thought about that, but... Um, <laughs> Seems unfair. It is unfair. It yeah. is unfair. It absolutely is. Um, poor kickers. They get... Can can the, the kicker can the, the kicker NFL. even be the biggest dud? Like, like, like I'm just from a positional value standpoint. Can the kicker be the biggest dud? Michael's expectations for Austin Simon yeah. were so high. Oh, but there. think about this. I mean, like he missed both of the kicks that he attempted. Yeah, I mean, so, he was I he mean, was out for two. That wasn't great, on. but my expectations don't even have to be high for him to be the biggest dud. I mean, he completely whiffed. No, but I mean, even if he kicked all the kickoffs, the kickoffs out of bounds in those First of all, three I games that he him played, to be our kicker for the entire year, I expect him to make it. You know, at least three quarters of his kicks, and he made zero, and he only played one game. So I think he pretty clearly it was I, was I, a dud. I, I do have a question. Matthew I, is a kicker apologist. I, I'm, I'm a kicker. I'm a he kicker. He really does defend them. Like I'm a kicker apologist. Um, I respect. Cody Parkey was was very solid for us. Um, the limitation the limitations on Cody Parkey is that he doesn't have a leg. He can't kick from from any sort of distance. Uh, as far as touchbacks, I mean, he's not going to lead the league. Like I, I wonder how having Cody Parkey as our kicker limited some decision making, perhaps throughout the throughout the year. And like maybe to Michael's point, if Austin Seibert had come through, like. He would have been a much like a higher upside kind yeah. of player that we were expecting, yeah. and we had to settle for a Cody Parkey. Yeah, and that hurt us. I think it's totally fair because Cody Parkey, I don't think he hit a fifty-plus yard field goal this year. He did fifty-three. Fifty-three. Good for him. I think there are some inconsistencies in your point of view, though, Matt, because you would have us go for all of those fourth downs. Almost all of them. Almost all of them, yeah. So we don't really. It's nice to have a bad kicker because it makes the decision easier. <laughs> well, well, it's nice, it's nice to have a really good kicker who's like consistent from really close range, like when, when you, you when you need it. Absolutely need it. Yeah. And that is Cody Parkey. He yeah. didn't have only one doink this season. No double doinkers. Oh, you're right. Forty six was the long. Yeah. Cody Parkey. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would just be interested to know. I mean, we were one of the more aggressive teams on fourth down, so maybe it wouldn't have made a difference at all. Um, I mean, even even kickers that are good from 50-plus yards, the, the math suggests that you should probably go for it. But all right. we'll see. A, a kicker. I don't think they could be your most disappointing. <laughs> if the, your kicker's your most disappointing, like you had a pretty damn good year. <laughs> and we did! <laughs> That's go. my point! Let's go. Um, all right, moving along with. I hope our... I can say it again next year. <laughs> yeah, Cody Parkey. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> True. Moving along with our uh, 
end of year awards, we're going to go with the best value. Who is the player that you deem was the most accomplished for the value that we paid them um, according to the salary cap? I am going to ask Matthew first. Yeah, I mean, this this was tough um, between some of these categories, but I, I want Wyatt Teller. I mean, he's, he's making darn near – he's on a rookie deal. He's making darn near the minimum. Uh, we traded for him, so we didn't have to pay any of his um, – at least on the cap, we didn't have to pay any of his uh, signing bonus money. And he ended up not only as one of the best interior linemen in football, he was one of the best guards in football. He was one of the best players in football this year when he was healthy. Um, to be able to get that kind of production out of somebody who you're paying so little – and we had so little expectation for, like, that's team-changing. It's franchise-changing. Like, the, the the work that Wyatt Teller put in this year changed the Cleveland Browns dynamic. We did not know who was going to be a right guard. We thought it might be Drew Forbes. He opted out. We thought there would be a competition. And, and Wyatt Teller ended up just being the last man standing. He like, was in quite camp. literally the biggest. Uh, maybe aside from Baker Mayfield, the biggest question mark, question mark on our entire For sure. Offense. And he ended up being the the arguably the best player on our entire offense. Yep. Um, so just, just that change in what we're paying him. Like, Wyatt Teller, hat off to you. You're the best value for the Cleveland Browns this year. That, oh, I mean, that's undisputed the best answer. I mean, it's well, undeniably and, and, true. I mean, even if you take it further, like our draft capital, that was like spent on on him, right? What we the fifth and a fifth round pick, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like in that trade with Buffalo. So, like, no matter how you slice it, I feel like the answer is Wyatt Teller. Yeah, I mean, can't really argue with that. Fair enough. So one B. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my answer aside from Wyatt Teller, which I. I wouldn't like argue necessarily him above, but like I also don't think you'd find a Browns fan that would argue pretty very hard against Nick Chubb being the best value. I mean, man, also on a rookie contract. Yeah. Also, um, he he did the best as, he player did as in his much position he, in the NFL. Yeah, as much as he could do. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if not the best, top three. I mean, the yeah. only thing you could say against Nick Chubb's season is that he missed a couple games because of injury. Other than that. The man was phenomenal. Proved that he is amongst the top two or three running backs in the NFL, if not the best. If you ask me, he's the best pure running back in the NFL. Um, Missed four games to injury, finished seventh in rushing in the NFL. Eclipsed 1,000 yards again and just made... It, it never ceases to amaze me how he can make long runs out of seemingly nothing. He makes people miss at the line of scrimmage. He accelerates past people at the second level and has vision unlike any running back I've seen and balance unlike any running back I've ever seen in a freaking long time. Um, his his vision is good. His balance is exceptional. Yeah. I would say. Like, that that's what separates him from ever. He's never overextended. He's never out over his feet and his like, breakaway speed is as much as you need like there there's ne- almost never a time where nick chubb breaks away and gets caught right. he's fast enough yep and that's true it's fantastic um it's gonna be an interesting situation to see it's so how tough. our front office 
it's handles his future. Yeah, it's so tough with running backs in general because, like, obviously a huge part of Nick Chubb's success has to do with how well our offensive line played this year. Um, and, like, can we plug and play another running back into it? But Nick, Nick Chubb is exceptional um, past the line. Yeah, I mean, so many of those big plays are aside from the work of the offensive line. Like, so many of his touchdowns come from 20 yards out where he, like, sets up guys and, like, makes people miss, and it's entirely Nick Chubb. But you have to get to a certain point to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And looking looking forward, I think, I mean, Nick Chubb's contract situation is not going to change this offseason, but I think we're going to be able to read a lot into the other front office moves, like, what the cards are reading for Nick Chubb's long-term future. If we if we move on from some of our big money wide receivers, for example, in this offseason, in in favor of some some cheaper options because we feel like we can plug and play. I, that's probably better for Nick Chubb's long-term future here here in Cleveland. Um, if we hold on to everybody, I don't know that necessarily means it's bad for Nick Chubb's future, but I think that decision is going to be tougher be made next offseason. And not this one, because I, it must be right. Like it, it has- it's, it's tough. The shrinking of the salary cap hurts hurts across the league. It probably hurts the Browns less than than a lot of other teams. But but it, it, back, it certainly throws a wrench into like I mean, what I, we're doing. I feel the same way about Baker Mayfield as I feel about Nick Chubb. Is there's no reason, there's no reason to make the decision right now. Yeah, I don't see a reason. You need a little bit more of a sample. You need another year in the system understand what's going on. I mean, think about worst-case scenarios. If Nick Chubb has, like, a really serious injury, like, next season, do you want to be on the hook for this, like, really long contract? As much as I hate that from the player's perspective, because, like, I really love Nick Chubb, but from a team and an organization perspective, like, it makes no sense to oh, no, really no, be I d- on I d- the hook. No, I don't, I don't think, like I said, we're not making a change to his contract situation. Yeah. But, like, you'll be able to, like, see an insight into, like, the thinking and process of, like... Yeah. The team building, are we gonna value running back or are we gonna value Nick Chubb as the running back to like to, oh, to build I, around in the next four or five years? I think when the Browns signed Kareem Hunt to the contract that they did, um, you know, early in, in the year, gave them optionality to do a whole lot of different things. And I think that the way that they handle all of it going there's just a lot of different options at their disposal. So when, sure. they, when they made that decision, I realized, oh, everything's on the table. Like, I, I can see that being an avenue for the Browns to, like, trade trade Kareem, Kareem Hunt. Hunt and keep Nick Chubb. I can see it also being a card that they hold in order to say, oh, no, we've got Kareem Hunt, so we can, you know, let Nick Chubb go, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, the, like, basically every option seems to be on the table. The draft will also be interesting to see if they invest any sort of resources into, you know, a running back later in the draft. Because we've got Ernest Johnson, who's who's a nice little piece, but his contract situation is such that if you ask Grandpa, he's more than just a he's nice great. Piece. Yeah, Grandpa <laughs> loves him. Grandpa loves him. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I like I like that. Um, all right. So my best value of the season was Ronnie Harrison. Um, we had a huge positional need at safety and we traded for Ronnie Harrison. We gave up a fifth rounder. We got Ronnie who was drafted in the third round. Um, so there's a, there's a value there. He had a 74.7 overall grade over the whole season from PFF. That's just about top 25 of all the safeties in the NFL. Um, so it's right there in that 
26 to 30 range. And we paid him $800,000 a year. It's pretty great. Safeties are expensive. I I remember when this Ronnie Harrison trade hit, I was on a ferry between between Massachusetts and Nantucket Island for like an hour and a half, two-hour ferry long ride. And there's fog everywhere around, and I'm just staring at my phone trying to refresh to figure out what we paid for to get Ronnie Harrison because it had been rumored. Um, absolutely. Got like, and especially to get like a young positional player. Like, it's amazing. And for him to come in, and it took a minute because we acquired him late in the cycle of the kind of preseason cycle, if you can even call 2020 as having a preseason cycle. Yeah. Um, so it took him a minute to kind of hit the ground running, but the bedrock of like our, our safety room for sure. Yep. The one and player has, you can rely on. He has another year in his contract. So we're going to have him in 2021 and then it'll be uh unrestricted free agent in 2022. I just want to pause here though and say, we let off this best value conversation with, you know, what we thought was an undisputed Victor in Wyatt Teller. But Nick Chubb and Ronnie Harrison are, Every bit is deserving, it feels like. Definitely strongly in that conversation. Testament to our front office. Like, when when have we ever had a, a season where we could, like, feel that good about a handful of players and the value and, like, what we got well, out of Well, in, in past seasons, it's felt like the player who was the best value the year before needed to be your MVP the next year to, to have a shot at being good. Yeah, remember how disappointed. And we don't, we don't need any of Trent Richardson. Yeah, we don't need <laughs> any of these three players to be our MVP next year, like to have a shot. If if all three of them are good or like what they can be, like mm-hmm. we're gonna be fine. We've got so much depth and talent up and down the roster now, which like yeah. is embarrassing to think about. Some of the podcasts we did like three years ago, <laughs> talking about some of the players we were talking about, like or out of the league. Um, all right, so now let's move Corey on. Corey Coleman's going to be the savior, guys. <laughs> He's going to do it. Just got to catch that pass. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's move on to the last and final category of our Cinema Father Awards. I'm going to start off with MVP. And we're going to hear from Michael. Michael, who is your MVP award this season? To me, um, when I say MVP, I think most talented player, first of all, but who made the biggest impact like on the field. And to me, if you look across the board, there's like no doubt that it's Miles Garrett. He did get hurt and kind of gutted out like the last portion of the season, and so his stats fell off a little bit. Obviously, having COVID and being out for a couple games hurt as well. Um, but he single-handedly turned the tide in a bunch of games in that first half of the season in particular and if we didn't have miles garrett on our defense i shudder to think about like what our defense would have looked like no that tear that tear he went on in the first like six seven games where the the sack rate was ridiculous the forced fumbles were ridiculous like him him at his healthiest in that first half of the season was the best defensive player i've seen for the browns in my lifetime unbelievable i mean the forced fumbles the I mean, unbelievable. So um, I think we mentioned this on a podcast in the past, but um, 
Brandon Thorne does a lot of um, analysis on Twitter. If you follow the him on true, Twitter. He's, true sacred. The true sacred. Yeah. And basically the idea of what he's doing is he looks at every single snap from every like pass rusher in the NFL. And he tries to determine like whether a sack was earned or whether it was kind of lucky. It's like So a true sack, and he has a whole grading system where you basically get a higher um, grade for an earned sack. Like where it wasn't just like luck. And so, because really all sacks aren't equal, right? Like if you actually like beat a left tackle and like get to the quarterback, that's completely yeah. different or if than you the coverage it, falling yeah. apart from you and TJ Watt just running un- unabated to the quarterback. Like yeah. it's, these are not equal sacks. Yeah. So to count them like as the, such, the quarterback can fall over and you be the guy that touches him and you get credited the sack. Right. Like, these are not the yeah. same things. And so he basically created a metric in order to – we'll see what it looks like over time. This is the first season he's actually, like, um, charted it. And Miles Garrett blew everybody out of the water. And he had, like, 13.25 at the end of the season was his, like, true sack score. There wasn't a single player that was over 10. And so, like, it just kind of shows you how talented the guy is. He's the only player really on the Browns' defense that any opposing team needed to account for. He was double teamed. If you watch, if you watch the Browns defense and just look at Miles Garrett, you're like, how in the world does he do anything? He's getting chipped and like double teamed every almost every play. time, yeah. almost every time, and he still produced double digit sacks, all of those um, forced fumbles. I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal performance from Miles Garrett. So um, to me. My, I mean, if Miles we didn't Garrett's... have him, our defense is, like, absolutely atrocious. <laughs> we don't have anything. Our, our defense is absolutely atrocious. Yeah, no, like, sure. aside from Denzel Ward, I, mean, I guess. Our turnovers and everything. Almost every single one can be attributed to Miles. Is Miles Garrett a top five player in the NFL? Defensive, for sure. Well, yeah, no doubt on the defensive side. But that's a very interesting question. Like, Pat Mahomes is... A, is Pat Mahomes a, and Aaron Donald, I think, top are five. one and two. Like in whatever order you want to put them, then that's uh, in my opinion. According to last season, Travis Kelsey, I think, is a top five player. I mean, when have you seen a tight end do what Travis Kelsey's done as far as value to his team? I don't know that I would rush to I w- put him up there. I would take Miles over Travis for sure. But I mean, he's good. It, I mean, it's an argument. Like the Browns might have a top five player in the league. Like we're not yeah. talking about like he's a defensive player of the year candidate. From here, hopefully, for the next couple of years, like going forward, that's kind of the the tier. And I'm super bummed, honestly, that he got COVID because he was like well on track to win. I, I feel so bad for Miles. I mean, this has been his fourth. This is his fourth year in the league, yep. right? Yep. I don't feel like he's had like a, a a true full season where he's he's been unimpeded at this point, um, where he's been able to do and some of that self inflicted, like with this. Yeah, the helmet situation. Um, yeah, because he got COVID. <laughs> yeah, he, he got COVID this year. Uh, he he had a high ankle sprain coming coming into the to the, his rookie season. Um, there's a like we haven't seen a full season of Miles Garrett yet, yeah. and it could we be terrifying. We were it could be to. terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So. It's, anyways, it's going to be the fuel that's going to continually burn in him to produce the way that he's produced. I mean, can, can, can you imagine if this team gets two or three full, like, prime seasons of Miles Garrett mm. just wrecking teams? Oh, it's going to be gonna absolutely be incredible. nasty. I can't wait. I'm going to go next as far as MVP is going is concerned. 
Michael said Miles Garrett. I love it. I'm going to say the most valuable player. He's not a player, but he's a player in the Browns organization. And my MVP of this 2020 Browns season is Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan took a Browns offensive unit that was ranked 23rd last year. And obviously there were some new additions. Um, but he took a ranked unit at 23rd all the way up to number one as far as PFS is concerned. From a pass-blocking perspective and a run-blocking perspective, we had the number one offensive line in the NFL, which is absolutely ludicrous. Is that good? It's one of the most important things that you could have on an NFL team, right? Like, if your offensive line is producing, it opens up so many avenues for your offense. And with the skill and talent that we have from an offensive perspective, like, and an entire offseason to implement, I cannot wait to see what we do next year. I mean, just take Wyatt Teller alone, who you talked about. Last year, Wyatt Teller's PFF grade was 56. This year, he had a 92.9 grade overall from PFF in the games that he played, which is absurd. It almost makes me mad that we have so much money devoted to our offensive line. (laughs) We don't need it. We can throw a guy named Blake in there and he's going to do all right. Like, get rid of Jack Conklin. Like, what's he doing? Just throw some guy in there and let Bill Callahan coach him up. It has been the greatest joy of this season to watch our offensive line produce and see Nick Chubb bear the fruit of it see Baker bear the fruit of it because Baker needs a clean pocket. Baker needs to not be pressured. And we have the offensive line that we need to have for this team, for this quarterback. It's It's been fantastic. So I think my MVP of the season is Bill Callahan. We couldn't have done what we did this year without him. So, so mine is similar. So I, I took player liberally like you did. My MVP is Kevin Stefanski. Like – it's been so many years. He he came in as a first-year coach, is has already won one Coach of the Year award, is probably going to win the next one. Like For him to come in and stabilize this organization, um, put the pieces in place that he has, his his in-game management, his play calling is impeccable. Like near, near the top of the league already. Like we, even with everybody else in place, but you put somebody else in the top spot. This Browns season does not go off the same way that that it does. Um, Kevin Kevin Stefanski, like look at last year, has has changed this organization. Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry have have changed this organization for the better. Changed the whole trajectory. The Podesta is the person that you should be throwing into that category. That, because I, I, you don't have to talk to me about Paul <laughs> D. Podesta. Like I love Paul D. Podesta, but if we're talking about the MVP of this season. There's no doubt in my mind that it's Kevin Savansky. I'm so freaking excited for for what these guys can do going forward. Um, Bill Callahan's going to be here for as long as he wants to coach. And it, like offensive line coaches don't leave. Yeah. They're just going to stay as long as Kevin Savansky stays. Yeah. Which seems likely. It's going to be great. If, if Bill Callahan has a chance to go be an offensive coordinator somewhere, make him the offensive coordinator. Great. Uh, You're still going to go No, the, the, the most beautiful thing to me about Bill Callahan – I'm is so I'm amped, pretty y'all. sure I'm so he, amped. he is at the stage of his career. He's been a he's head done coach. it all. He's, he's done been a head all. coach. He's yeah. done all of it, and I'm pretty certain he likes coaching offensive line. Yeah, he just wants and it. he wants to be treated well. He wants to be in an environment where he likes coaching with the other coaching staff. Yeah. the rest of the coaching staff. Like it's clear that Stefanski leans on him significantly um, when it comes to like making decisions. 
Um, and I, I just can't imagine there being a much better coaching environment for a guy like Bill Callahan than this Cleveland Browns team that he has right now. Well, it's like, so, it's like young people. Kevin Spansky's a good dude. Like, I don't know him personally. Just seeing him publicly, everybody says, super great guy. Like, how do you not want to work with that? You know? Yeah. And, I mean, the only thing we have to worry about with Bill Callahan is him retiring. Yeah, because he's older. Yeah. Uh, but but he can also do this for ten years because yes. like like yes. you have no idea. Yep. So we'll see. No, absolutely. That is the most exciting thing to me with the Browns going forward is Bill Callahan. Consistency in the coaching staff. Yeah, like you guys both had. brought up coaches being like our MVPs, and I it's hard to argue with. And we're not losing a coach in this yeah. off season yeah. right now. We bring back the same guys and we get to build on the foundation that we already like and, that we laid this year that was successful. And nobody's pining over Alex Van Pelt to come like run their organization. Like he's going to be back too. And yeah. he's just kind of that like like mortar guy who like fills in the cracks and like brings something to the organization but isn't isn't super sexy. And we get to bring all of those guys back. It's amazing. Yeah, no. Stefanski and Baker paired together for years to come is going to be an absolutely fantastic, fantastic combination. Um. All right. Well, go Browns! I am so, so, so stoked about the season, and I'm sure you guys are too. Uh, disappointing finale to the season, but a lot of things to be optimistic about. Um, we are going to be coming back to you guys um, somewhere around the beginning of March, um, whenever the new league year opens up mid-March, and we're going to be talking about free agents that we hope to have re-signed and people that we want to sign in free agency. Um, and so we're looking to drop another pod at the beginning of March. So be on the lookout for that, and be sure to like this podcast and subscribe if you aren't already subscribed um, and follow us on Twitter at Sin of Our Fathers. Send us an email if you have something you want us to talk about um, at the beginning of March and we'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks so much for listening and go Browns. Go Browns.